Hi folks, welcome to the happysaver.com podcast. Your friends might not want to talk about their journey with money, but I do. I'm Ruth and I'm a blogger on personal finance and in this podcast series I tell the stories of Kiwis and their experiences with the money in their lives. Today I tell you all about Lisa who I came across when she reached out to me after reading my blog. Lisa followed a fella all the way back to New Zealand and set up a successful business in which she toiled day after day. All her time and all of her energy went into it until one day she was forced to walk away with nothing except a mortgage-laden building. Broke, tired and uncertain of the future, she started all over again. With no idea about what to do with money, she set about teaching herself how and where to invest and now, at the young age of 44, she has reached financial independence and is about to retire. Would you like some free money? Sharesies is offering a sign-up bonus of $10 for all Kiwis wanting to start investing. Sharesies is one of the platforms I use to invest in my personal favourite, index funds, and they are a company that has rapidly become a New Zealand success story as they have enabled thousands of people to get involved in share investing, often for the very first time. If you would like to sign up with Sharesies and get $10 into your Sharesies wallet, go to thehappysaver.com forward slash sharesies and start your investing journey today. Today I tell you all about Lisa, but to get this right out of the way at the very beginning, Lisa is not actually her real name. She is wanting to remain anonymous, which is her call entirely. So to pick a name, I googled the top 20 names for the country of her birth and also the year of her birth, and Lisa took my fancy and was conveniently on the list next to her real name. So Lisa it is. Now, she moved to New Zealand from Europe about 20 years ago and is happily married with no children, self-employed and is actually quite shy. When you get to know her, she is a dynamic, focused and astute 44-year-old woman and right about now she'll be saying, oh really, oh no, no, no Ruth, I'm not all that. So, understated is another word that I would use to describe her. And to me, Lisa typifies a New Zealander. Quietly going about her business, not outwardly showy, but if you scratch the surface, there is a heck of a lot that she can tell you. Lisa is the very reason I talk to random people down the street because I am always surprised by their journey and always grateful that they will share it with you and with me. Our conversation pretty quickly turned to family as they are really important to her, and she told me that growing up, both of her parents were naturally very frugal, but without being mean or tight-fisted about it at all, but they did frown on wasteful spending. They have had successful careers themselves, but you would never know this to look at them, apparently. As a child, she did not want for anything at all, and she was fortunate in that her parents were very generous, but for some things there was an absolute no and boundaries were set. For example, she got into music quite seriously while at school, so her parents made sure that she had a really good quality instrument to play on, but when her school friends were being helped into their first car by mummy and daddy, Lisa was given a firm heck no, she would need to save enough to buy her own first car, which on reflection set a very good example about how to be a bit more self-sufficient. 
and she now realises that her attitudes and her sensible use of money does actually come directly from her upbringing. After school finished, she went on to tertiary study in Europe, and as a student, she got an interest-free loan from the government to pay for her courses. She lived the student life, and to quote her, was on the bones of her ass in a shitty house paying too much on rent with barely any money for living. But, strangely enough, she was always able to scrape enough together for booze, books and music, all of which were her weaknesses. The reason many people end up in New Zealand often comes down to a fella, and yes, Lisa met a Kiwi bloke who was overseas on his OE, and she moved to one of New Zealand's main centres in her mid-twenties to be with him. The two of them married, and they started up a small business – She did not want to share what that business was, but let's just say that from her mid-twenties to her early thirties, the business grew from one staff member up to ten, and it was a successful and exceptionally fast-paced enterprise, and her role was to manage the entire operation. As turnover grew, so did the stress, and it took all of her energy and her health to keep up with it, and as a result, as the years ticked by, her relationship with her husband suffered. Very few of us can maintain such a high level of stress and for Lisa, everything ended up falling apart and she walked away from both her husband and her business that she had put absolutely everything she had into. Now this is a relatively common thread with women when they leave a relationship. They just want gone, they don't have the energy for a fight and in the process give up everything that they have invested into it, often ending up much worse off financially than their partner. And that was very much Lisa's headspace, run, flee, get gone. She felt despondent and naive and wanted to just walk away from a partner who had become a very difficult man to fight. She was about to give up everything and it was actually almost a fluke that in her settlement she kept the actual building that her business had worked from for all of those years. It was her lawyer who convinced her to keep it. And it did take a lot of convincing because the building actually came with a large mortgage. She in no way felt that she had won anything at all because after all those years, she had just a piece of commercial real estate that the bank had a large share of and regular mortgage payments to meet. So Lisa found herself in her early 30s with nothing apart from a commercial property with a large mortgage and the need to start all over again. That's when she dusted off the university qualification she had earned but never used. She also got on a plane and again, in her own words, got the hell out of New Zealand to clear her head. And it was the absolute best thing she could have done for herself at that time. Meanwhile, back in New Zealand, a new tenant in her building just covered the mortgage payments to the ever-present bank. She began to freelance as a translator and because she grew up in Europe, she had a few different languages she could speak and she slowly built up an international clientele and gradually built up her business. Because she had nothing to her name, she was forced to make do with less and live very, very, very frugally and by doing this, she realised that lack of funds was actually no great hardship. When she had been working full weeks running her business in New Zealand, there was never time for exercise, food was often takeaways, eaten in a rush, swallowed down with wine to help her sleep and ease the stress, but now with a far slower and simpler pace of life, her health and mental clarity couldn't help but be improved. 
After a couple of years of single living, she reconnected with an old acquaintance back in New Zealand and their relationship developed. So back to New Zealand she came. Now he was bogged down in his work, so together they decided to simplify life, get out of the big city they were in and head to a much smaller regional town in the South Island. In hindsight, holding onto that one commercial property on the advice of her lawyer proved to be a very astute move. By the time she came to sell it, the mortgage was paid off and the value of the property had greatly increased. Her now husband sold out the property he had and together they bought a patch of land and built themselves a tiny house to live in. Think really, really, really little. And they owned it outright. No mortgage, no debt. So now you have the backstory of Lisa, but it's time to learn a whole lot more about her. So on with some questions that I put to her. The first one of which is, why don't people want to talk about money? She thinks that it is because you can be met with negative reactions and she feels she has definitely struck this. You don't talk about physical ailments, relationship problems or money because she thinks that each of them are big social taboos. Personally, she does not like divulging what she has or how she got it as people can jump to the wrong conclusions and it almost makes her feel uncomfortable. She is headed towards early retirement but is not sure how to talk about this with others or reveal her actual figures. She does like to discuss finances and is happy to talk money with like-minded people like myself, but people like me are actually uncommon and I'm one of the few that she talks about this stuff with. So as a result, I actually feel very privileged. Let's find out a bit more about how she deals with the money in her life. And I asked if I gave her $10,000 cash right now, what would she do with it? A nice bottle of Pinot Noir perhaps while she thought this proposition through? Not a chance. She would invest it straight into an index fund and would not even look at it or even think about it. She would immediately put that money to work for her. Full stop. End of conversation, folks. Now, everyone has habits that they consciously or unconsciously do. So what are her three main financial habits? Things that she just automatically does. First off the ranks is Lisa tracks her spending every month. She used to just have a category in her spreadsheet for groceries and everything was lumped together, but at the end of 2016, she went through every single category and saw where she could cut costs. So now every expense is noted down to quite fine details such as money spent on bread, milk and biscuits. She even has a glad wrap (laughs) category, which I thought was hilarious. Although it did make me think I need to get her some beeswax covers she could use instead of Glad Wrap. And yes, I am a little bit of an environmentalist. As a result of this, she started making her own muesli, bread and biscuits, and it made a huge difference in her budget. They were eating a lot of meat, which is expensive. So now they use less meat, they buy cheaper cuts and she makes more casseroles. So she has actually cut her grocery bill by two thirds. And holy heck, that is really impressive. Habit number two, apart from one stint in an office for 10 months when she first came to New Zealand and worked for someone else, Lisa has never had a regular income. It always varies month on month. So she can't easily plan her life around what comes in every month because it is just far too variable. So it's more about spending as little as possible on the things that matter. 
If she needs to make a purchase, she will research it to death before committing a big amount of money to it. She never impulse buys anything and is always seeking out the cheapest option without being cheap. Her third habit is that all of her investments are on autopilot. Investments just tick away in the background and because she likes to research, she put the time into finding the best investment options and Lisa has moved away from any fund with high management fees oh, and poor returns, of course. She set everything up well and now she just automatically invests into her funds regularly and sits on the porch and watches her husband mow the lawn. She does. I have photos to prove it. Now, although I only asked for three habits, Lisa wanted to share a fourth. She does not spend much money. She has worked out that increased spending does not equate to increased happiness, and that is just very nicely put. This next question has proved to be a tricky one for my guest to answer, and it is, what is your money elevator pitch, a sentence that would sum up your approach to money? After a lot of ooing and ahhing, I got this out of her. Spend money only on things that make you truly happy and spend time working out what that is. You will be surprised that your happiness often does not involve physical items. Now, throughout life, we all have wins and losses. So what's one of her biggest financial triumphs? Lisa firmly believes that simplifying her life down to a level where she does not need a lot of money is a huge triumph. This did not happen overnight, but was instead a three-year process of changing the way she thought and lived to such an extent that she can now live on very, very little. No mortgage and no debt means that she has carefully worked out that they can live on just $25,000 per year. In their marriage, they keep their finances separate, but they still very much work together on working out their joint household yearly budget. What sits outside of this amount, but is budgeted nonetheless, is an airfare to see her family, and there is no cheap way to do this, airfares out of New Zealand are never cheap, but affording it is very achievable for Lisa because she plans for it. I've just mentioned the fact that she keeps her finances separate to her husband. Why is that? They keep it separate, not because of her divorce, it's just how it has worked out and evolved. They are actually very similar in terms of what they have and how they deal with money. He is actually even more frugal and is just not at all interested in buying things. He is also self-employed and has his hobbies and he has his weaknesses, one of which is restoring an old car. He is not interested in her spreadsheet and rolls his eyes at the very thought of it. He says he has always been a saver and without thinking about it, he has lived well below his means and he always spends less than he earns, so he feels no need to write it down and track it. She would happily merge their finances, but there is just no need as it works so well. They are 50-50 in sharing costs, but one of their differences is that her husband won't join KiwiSaver, and despite her attempts to get him to, he turns down free money each year. Otherwise, they rub along just fine. Lisa has already touched on her greatest financial flop. It was, of course, a relationship breakup. She knows that despite doing okay with the commercial property, the reality is that she gave a lot more away in the divorce settlement than she should have, and there are no two ways about it. She lost quite a bit of money there. Next, I asked Lisa the question, which is, if she could retain all of the knowledge she has today regarding money and could go back to her 15-year-old self and start again, what would she do? 
whether it be the same or something quite different. She would have told herself to get into a more lucrative career. Working the job she does will only let her make so much money each day. More hours spent working mean more money, but there are only so many hours in each day and her income is solely reliant on the hours that she does put in. She was given zero money on career advice at school and had she had some, she would have studied career options and picked a better one that paid her top dollar. Then she would have saved and saved and saved some more as the world is your oyster when you are financially secure. She knows this now. So does she go without to get ahead or spend today because it might be gone tomorrow? And I think I actually might need to stop asking this question because it is becoming pretty clear to me that those who get ahead do go without. But it does not feel to her like she is missing or lacking in anything as she has everything that she could wish for in life. She is careful with her spending and has found that the things that make her happy don't usually cost any money. So how did Lisa end up being such a smart cookie? Who taught her about all this stuff? Her parents sound like they played a formulative role, but they never actually formally educated her on money, and she kind of wishes that they had. They led by example by never being outwardly frivolous with money and were never interested in the status symbols that could come with being financially secure, but they never actually taught her to save. So as a result, she was still pretty ignorant about money and it's only been in the last five years that she has taken such a keen interest herself. Prior to that, she feels like she had absolutely no idea. She now knows you can achieve a lot in a really short space of time if you do things consciously and conscientiously. She has had a late awakening but has since come to understand that certain habits such as frugality have been ingrained in her since childhood which have now proved to be pretty useful. So where is she stashing her cash and what are her future plans? And this is where it gets interesting as she is in the process of winding up her work at the moment and plans to stop completely at the end of this year, 2017. If any of you listen to podcasts on early retirement, then you know the term FIRE. This means financial independence, retire early. And that is what she is on the cusp of doing at the young and awesome age of 44. She is looking forward to being unemployed and just seeing where the journey takes her from Christmas 2017. She has gotten herself to a stage in life where it's obvious she is not going to have children, so she knows that she won't have that responsibility and she has managed to whistle expenses down to a point where she can give up work and the investments she has made will generate the money she needs to cover those expenses. That is $25,000 per year to live on. Now, giving up her clients is a really bold move. Once they are gone, they are gone, and her business is finished. And this decision is the one and only thing that keeps her awake at night. But she is sick of working in the industry she is in and she knows she wants to do something different and wants to take a couple of years to relax and pursue a few hobbies that she's got in mind. She has given herself a two-year time frame to see how she likes it. And if worse comes to worse, shock horror, she's going to find a gig to bring in the little amount of money she may need. Really, she has absolutely nothing to lose and everything to gain. I am so excited for her. What a cool journey to be on. But my next question, and yours too, I'm sure, is how? 
let's start small and build up the picture of how Lisa is going to actually achieve this. Yes, she has an emergency fund. She always has money on hand and readily available in case a real emergency pops up. She says she is probably overcautious and she actually has two years of living expenses set aside at the moment. Now that is a lot of coin close by but remember that she is intending to stop work very soon and she has this as cash in the bank and also in term deposits. This money will see her through not working for the next two years and will mean she is not withdrawing money from any of her investments. So all going to plan and the economy goes okay, they are going to keep on growing. Next level up for her is investing in shares. She has no individual shares, never has had, and instead she uses index funds. Lisa is currently invested in a couple of funds. The US 500 is with smart shares and she also has with Superlife a Europe fund and a NZ50 fund and she's used them because of their slightly lower tax rates. Very recently she also moved some money into a Simplicity Managed Growth Fund So this is a fund outside of KiwiSaver. She had tried managed funds with a different provider but did not like that she had no idea what she was paying in fees and she pulled her money out. She has already moved her KiwiSaver to the Simplicity Growth Fund and invests the minimum amount of 1042 each year so she can get the member tax credit, also known as free money from the government of $521. Now she figures she still has 21 years before she can access this money so she's just content to sit and let it grow. She likes simplicity for the fact that their fees are low, performance is doing well and that they are so transparent in their ethos. For her it is all about low fees and having diversification. And of course she has money tied up in the property they own which is not really an investment, but instead is a place to live. If they sold up and bought a cheaper property, uh, she could gain some cash from it that she could put back into her other investments. So we've been talking for a while now, and at no point did she tell me she had been to the Learn How to Invest University and gained a master's degree. So how did she know to structure her portfolio like this, and when did she make a start on investing in this way? It comes back to that commercial building again and the large financial step up it gave her. Because her income in the last couple of years has actually been quite low and irregular, she had never been able to save that much, but selling the building gave her a large lump sum of money. She then had to work out what to do with this lump sum and that was when she started to actively educate herself. Initially, she just put it all in a term deposit, but then she heard about index funds from Mr Money Mustache. And at that time, they were harder to find in New Zealand, but then she stumbled upon smart shares and super life and also just generally really sought out any information that she could find on investing. All of this information finally started to fall into place and she started investing that lump sum over the course of about three years until it was all tucked away. She has never used a financial advisor but has read a multitude of books and gleaned an enormous amount of information off the internet. So once again I have spoken with someone who has no formal education, just a desire to learn something new and she has created her own investment portfolio that is working hard for her and that she is happy with. 
given that she has worked herself into a strong financial position with the help of investing in a commercial property, what exactly are Lisa's thoughts on property as an investment? She thinks it is Kiwi's go-to investment as it has proven to be such a reliable investment for some. And Kiwis understand it, whereas many don't understand the share market. She does think it is ludicrous what we pay for property here at the moment and for the type of house that we buy here. She likes to have her own property because of the security it gives her and she can see the advantage of owning your own home. But even despite her success in real estate, she does not want to have a property as an investment and the current housing market is a cause for concern for her and she does not see it as a good investment. Once she is retired, does she have a withdrawal rate that preserves the capital? And what I mean by this is can she take money out of her investments at a rate that even despite this withdrawal, they will continue to grow. And this is typically referred to as the 4% rule. She has done the sums of the 4% withdrawal rate and she is not quite there, not far off, but not quite there. So in a way, she is taking a calculated risk, but is quietly confident that her stash will continue to grow. And remember too, that she has her two years of living expenses that she has set aside close at hand, and she is confident that that will be enough to get her through. Remember too that she loves a good spreadsheet and if Lisa can work out how how much glad wrap she uses in a year, she is probably in a pretty good position to forecast how her investments are likely to work out. She has gone through all the fire calculations repeatedly and is very confident, but at the end of the day she just thinks bugger it, let's just do it and make a start. If she finds she is slightly off target, she can always pick up a small job to see her through. How much does she actually engage in her financial education today, seeing as all her investments are all set up? All the time was Lisa's answer, which surprised me. She still spends one to two hours each day because she gets a lot of enjoyment out of it. She reads and reads and reads and is always looking for forums, tips, tricks and how-to guides. Maybe this is why we get on quite well. Can she recommend any book or podcast or blog to you and I? Of course she can, and I will link to these on my show notes on www.thehappysaver.com forward slash podcasts. So firstly, she likes uh, Deep Dish, which is by Richard Meadows. He is a guy who has moved to Thailand, and he writes for publications back in New Zealand. She's also spent a lot of time on the Mr Money Mustache online forums, and for her, it simply reinforces the whole idea of less is better. And she loves the minimalists and she watched their movie and enjoys their line of thought. And she likes the happy saver, of course she had to say that. And another Kiwi blog called Smart and Lazy. She enjoys the podcast Desert Island Discs and finds following the life journey of others really interesting. I'm hearing you Lisa, I'm enjoying hearing all about your journey too, thanks very much. So with all of this math going on, is there any room in the budget for a splurge? Is there something she does that she knows to some might be considered a waste of money, but she does it anyway? For her, technology might be it. She likes to use a nice computer, and because this has always been the tool for her trade, it has been an important one as well. Also, she loves to travel and will go to Europe at least once a year to catch up with family, but again, this is an expense she has budgeted for. With everything Lisa has going on in her life, I asked what fulfills her the most, and my guess being that it is probably not money-related. Being able to choose to spend her time with the people she likes is truly rewarding. 
a good relationship, whether with a friend or her husband, is worth gold to her, and it gives her the freedom to be who she wants to be and just enjoy the simple things in life. The freedom of not having a boss breathing down her neck sure is a bonus as well. So what about the day-to-day stuff? Does she use cold hard cash? Nope, never. She really has it on her. What about a credit card? She uses a ANZ's Platinum credit card for all purchases uh, to chase the reward points, the air points, so she can use them when she flies back to Europe. She made the conscious choice to pick this card and Air New Zealand as an airline so she could offset her travel costs and, of course, it goes without saying that she pays the balance in full each month. It was almost time to wrap up when she said she wanted to just add the following. She sees a lot of friends overseas with flamboyant lifestyles earning big money, spending big money on the latest of absolutely everything and living beyond their means. The waste really gets to her and she finds it hard to watch as they buy stuff and just throw it away, sometimes even without having used it. She would love to sit them down and show that it can be done differently. They question her much simpler life and she wants to point out how happy she is and that she actually wants for nothing. She thinks that if they took a deeper look at themselves, they would see that they are slaves to their jobs that they hate. They complain to her that they have no money when they are caught up in a vicious cycle of buy, spend, buy and spend. If they were happy, then no problem, but they are not, and she would love to show them that there are ways out of it. She is sure she could halve their expenses over the course of a week. You don't need $100,000 a year to live and be happy and with some good decisions you can buy your freedom. Lisa could go out tomorrow and fly business class to Europe, but she chooses not to. After all, it's not going to get her there any faster. Lisa also has friends who have sadly died in their 40s and if that was to be her fate, she wants to be able to say she enjoys life today with no worries. And the last thing she wanted to add was freedom is the biggest gift you can give yourself. And I'm hearing you, Lisa, and I hope that those of you listening are too. So to recap, I don't know if I made enough of a song and dance about how much she lives on each year. Living on $25,000 a year is amazing, and she has only been able to work it out by noting down every expense in a spreadsheet. Now, I love a good spreadsheet and they are so super important if you want to become financially sorted. So have you worked out what it costs you to live a year? If not, how about taking notes starting from today? And almost finally, Lisa worries that people might think she landed on her feet and somehow had life easy with the commercial property she received in the divorce settlement. But she did not just receive this. All I can see is that she worked her butt off over many, many years to build a successful business with her now ex-husband. Both contributed to its success, but the spoils of success appear to me to not have been evenly divided. If you find yourself faced with the situation, I would say to you that it is time to put your big girl boots on, put the tissues away, control your emotions and fight the biggest fight of your life for your future self because in Lisa's case this property turned into a financial triumph out of one of the worst times of her life. Now as her heart healed the value of her property grew and as they say success can often be the best form of revenge. 
It's a shame to me that she wants to fly under the radar, this friend of mine, because the money journey that she shared with me has so many elements in it that are useful to others. But I'm also so very grateful that she has let me share it with you nonetheless. So Lisa, thank you. And to finish up, I just wanted to say, she may have only started sorting out her financial life in her late 30s, but boy has she caught up and it is never too late to start. She has become intensely focused on making good decisions for herself and she is planning for today and also forecasting 20 plus years into the future. With no money worries to keep her awake at night, she has the money side of her life sorted. So you know what I'm going to say next, right? Yep, that leaves her to focus on this day and every day after that. She has time for herself time with her loving husband, time with family, time with friends and helping others because when you boil it all down, those are the most important things in life and all money does is help you to enjoy them. That's it for me today. Looking forward to catching you next episode. Happy saving. Happy saving.